you all so much for joining us for episode five, season four of our Revise and Resubmit podcast. I'm Dr. Kim Bissell, the Southern Progress Endowed Professor in Magazine Journalism and the Associate Dean for Research in the College of Communication and Information Sciences at the University of Alabama. And I'm Dr. Annalisa Bolin, an Assistant Professor in the Department of Communication Studies, also at the University of Alabama. And we both work in the Institute for Communication and Information Research, or the ICIR, at UA. So, Kim, when we think about communication as academic discipline, one of the things that we've noticed from our guests, and this is going back like season one through now, mm-hmm. I'm sure we've before, is that the theory, the practice, the research, it can all be applied in so many ways. And that's certainly one of the reasons I was attracted to the Master's in Communication Studies program at UA, and one of the reasons that I found myself back in the College of Communication and Information Sciences. You're exactly right. And when we think about our doctoral program and the alum from our doctoral program, it's been really interesting to see where our alum started, how they ended up in UAC and IS doctoral program, and then what they've been up to since then. Some have gone straight into academia, some have gone into the industry work, and, you know, some take time to train for the Olympic trials. (laughs) Okay, yes. So, Right. Today's guest is so impressive for many reasons. And one is that she's a successful runner. And like, I mean, I don't mean like she won the local 5K last week. I mean, okay, well, she also (laughs) won the local 5K last week. But uh, she's like done Olympic trial training. Mm -hmm. That's a spoiler. We'll hear about it. Um, But another reason that I think she's so impressive is that she's taken her education and her experience and she's shaping the future. And I mean, she's teaching and coaching middle and high school students. That's right. Today's guest is Dr. Andrea Wagner, who is the head track and cross country coach, as well as the director of communication at Cornerstone Christian School in San Antonio, Texas. She's teaching students about crafting their stories using communication theory to help students with their personal brands, coaching. She's doing a lot. And so we were so excited to get to talk to her and share this episode with you today. We want to extend a very warm welcome to Dr. Andrea Wagner. Welcome to Revise and Resubmit. much for joining us, Andrea. It is so great to catch up with you. Thank you. I'm excited to be chatting with y'all. Awesome. So Andrea, before we do kind of a deep dive into all the details about your path to the PhD and what you do now, I think it's important to note and for our listeners to hear kind of a fun, interesting fact about you. And I'm not sure if you would bring it up, but I feel like it's important to mention because it just demonstrates how fabulous you are. You ran in the Chicago Marathon not too long ago, and your finishing time qualified you to run in the Olympic trials. Your finishing time was 2.41.05. And let me just make sure everyone understands that we are talking about 26.2 miles at approximately a 6.19 pace. 26 miles over a six minute mile pace. So I have many, many, many questions about this, but here's what we all want to know. How did it feel crossing the finish line knowing you had qualified to run in the Olympic trials? 
it's still a little surreal, even even years later when um, when I look back at that and in my office, I have my bib and all other, you know, kind of fun stuff to remind me of that time. But when I crossed the finish line, I had a really good buffer because the time was 245 that you had to make and I got a 241. So knowing that I had gone well under that, but the moment I finished, it was I mean, there's no way to describe it. It was pure joy, um, happy tears, and just realizing that at that moment, in so many different ways, I knew my life was going to change. And um, even to this day, I'm I'm still very proud of myself for everything that I accomplished. That's okay. That's a very good answer. And I also know you got a lot of press, and you were in a film. Was it with American Airlines? Is that U- United Airlines? Oh, United yes. Airlines. Yeah. Okay. So much. Yeah, that's really cool. And I love that you said that you were proud of yourself. I think that like there's so many times that we don't give ourselves enough credit and like realize like, oh my gosh, I did a really cool thing and a good <laughs> so yay. Very much so. Yeah. And and then um, you know, and, and on top of that I was teaching full time and I had two kids and so just knowing that um you know, I, I wasn't uh, in school, 21 years old, had no no w- worries in the world. I actually had a lot on my plate and still was able to accomplish that. So and I was it was later in life. I, I qualified when I was 35, which is ancient and running and running age. So um, so the fact that I was kind of against all odds in a way, I, I, I am very proud of myself and I rarely say that. So moment. Very cool. Okay, Andrea, let's shift gears just a little bit. We're going to learn a little bit more about you. And we'll do this little rapid fire uh, section. So first, where are you from? I am from San Antonio, Texas. And when were you at the University of Alabama? Uh, 2004 to 2008. And where are you now? I am in San Antonio, Texas. Came back home. (laughs) Okay, so... We've heard a lot about the running that you did, and we know that you got a PhD from the University of Alabama, but what did the young Andrea think she would be doing when she grew up? Um, <laughs> I, I had no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up, even when I was in school. I kind of joked with my parents said that, you know, they said, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I still don't know. And so they said, well, just keep going to school and maybe you'll realize it. And so... It honestly wasn't until I got in the PhD program and I stepped foot in the classroom where I realized that 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 being in the classroom was where I belonged. And I and I mean, in, when I was little, I would always line my teddy bears up in front of the chalkboard. And you know, looking back, I can see how that was a little bit of a you know step to where um, where I eventually ended up. But uh, I, I kept going to school because I did not know what I wanted to do, but being in the classroom, it was almost instantaneous where I knew I loved, it was almost like performing and educating and mentoring all at the same time. And it was everything that I loved. So I'd have to say, I didn't, didn't really know, but the moment I, I got into the classroom, it was, it was like a light bulb went off and I said, this is definitely where I want to be. I love so, that. yeah. And, and like, so how did you, was it a straight path to the PhD program? And you mentioned like you kept going to school to find out what you wanted to do. Were there stops along the way? 
Yeah. So, I mean, I was mostly kind of a straight track. So I went to Clemson undergrad and uh, when I was there, I was in the communications program and I had a minor in journalism. And so while I was there, I was writing and I knew, you know, I liked writing. I liked, I was also in the theater program at Clemson. So I was like, I know I'm really comfortable in front of people. So I think that, you know, that's another step to, um, you know, kind of being a teacher and being in front of people. And while I was there in my senior year, I was lucky enough to do some research with some professors that are now is at Alabama with y'all, but I did some research and I was, you know, I, I liked, I liked that challenge of, um, you know, kind of understanding the why in a lot of things. And so I still didn't know what I wanted to do. And so I then my, went and got my master's at Georgetown and um, was thinking I wanted to go into health communication or uh, political communication. And so I got an internship at um, the Pentagon while I was there in the press room. And I quickly realized I did not want to be in politics. I did not want to do government relations. Um, I mean, it was a little bit of a twofold. I just, um, you know, the the political side of communication is very ruthless. And I and I just I don't think I was I'm I'm that type of person. Um, But I also was there right during 9-11 and so it was definitely a bittersweet time to be thrown into everything and and learning so much so quickly but at the same time having so much pain and heartbreak um i I think i'm you know whether it was um you know moving away from that because it was too hard for me or moving away because um i just didn't want to be there you know i still don't know but i quickly realized, okay, this is not the direction I want to go. So what else can I do? And so <laughs> I took a little time off and worked and then, um, you know, worked at, at a, at a high school. And, and so I just, I really want to go back. I want more. I want to, you know, I loved education and there were so many things I, I felt like it was unanswered for me. So then that's when, um, I found Alabama and then it was from that moment, I, I kind of definitely fell in love with what it was, what I was doing. So I have a follow-up. When you were working at the Pentagon, you were working as a communications specialist. Can you tell us a little bit more and our listeners a little bit more about like what that job might look like under normal circumstances and what it looked like for you during 9-11? Yeah. And it's two very different things. So I, (laughs) I, I went in, I went into it, it was supposed to be an internship. And so I thought I was going to just, you know, a little bit of the gopher stuff, the typical stuff of run this here and go find me this and research this. And there was a lot of that. Um, but because I, um, I started the internship just weeks after 9-11. So I was, I was not there when it happened, but I lived in a mile away. So I was, it felt like I was there because I could hear it and I could smell it and you could see the smoke and everything. And then I started the internship just a few weeks after, and I was there for um, a year and a half. And so I did a lot of the typical gopher stuff and got lost about a million times in that building. But, um, but what was pretty amazing was because of the situation, um, I got to be almost like I was um, a full-time employee, a full-time information officer. So there would be days where I would have a full plate of research and then that research turned into a press conference for um, Secretary Rumsfeld. Or there were days when somebody would be um, having to do a a project and they needed to man the phones for the Eastern Asian Division of um, Military Affairs. And so I'd be answering questions or 
Um, I'd, there'd even be times where I would be running and fielding questions from, you know, CNN and Fox News and uh, MSNBC, where they'd be running across the hall asking questions, and I'd be the only one available to answer questions. And so I, I got a, an incredible amount of experience and education and all that. Um, and also saw kind of, I don't want to say the dark side of it all, but I kind of saw the dark side of it all and how, um, you know, how you give information out and sometimes they only take part of it and kind of pull my hair out a few times saying, that's not what I said, you know, whatever it may be. <laughs> but, um, but I mean, I think, you know, it, it was very typical in the sense that it was a lot of research, a lot of, you know, fielding phone calls. Um, but it was just an added element of I was treated like I was one of them in the sense that I was given way more responsibility than probably a typical intern would get. I mean, so, <clears throat> I know that it's been over a decade, um, not trying to age any of this, but it's been over a decade <laughs> since um, you were at Alabama and then finishing your PhD. What has your career looked like since then? Can you tell us a little bit about what you've done over the last 13 years or so? Yeah, so I when I was um, at Alabama, I chose the teaching track in the sense that uh, instead of, I mean, I still did research, but my my primary extra role was I taught and I just, I, like I said, I really loved it. And so I knew that the moment I graduated, I wanted to teach. Um, I did not go in, in the route of a tenure track in any, um, when I came back, well, I came back home. So I, I found a teaching, or I got a teaching job here in town in San Antonio, and I did not take the tenure role because I also um, had a newborn. I mean, he was born July and I started working in August. So I did not want to uh, put the burden on myself of trying to start off with a tenure track position um, with a newborn. So I did become a, um, an adjunct professor here in San Antonio at Trinity University. And it was a wonderful place. And I stayed there for almost eight years where I was never on a tenure track uh, just because I had responsibilities at home. And I just made that choice. But I continue to teach there. So for about eight years, I was at um, Trinity teaching um, in their communication department. And then I filtered over to some marketing classes because um, the department felt like a lot of stuff that I learned at Alabama with, um, with the entertainment side and the sports side of what I studied uh, was a great overlap to marketing. And then while I was there, they started a sport management program. It was a minor, a minor at the time, and I think it's now turned to a major. And so I, I became one of, I think, two or three teachers over there um, that started teaching in the sport management program. And so that's where I was primarily housed. Um, and then um, after that, I kind of needed a change of scenery, if you want to say that. And so I switched over and kind of went to another university called University of the Incarnate Word. And then when I um, qualified for the trials, I decided I was going to take some time off um, to from teaching so that I could train. And then from there, um, I decided I wasn't really feeling like I wanted to go back into the classroom, worked for a nonprofit for about two years, um, w working with uh, girls and running, and it's called Girls on Run. And I really enjoyed, enjoyed the programming side of stuff and putting a lot of what I taught and researched into practical ap application. And so once that ended, I kind of felt like I wanted to get back into the classroom in a way. And so now I'm currently um, at a school, a high school, um, it's Cornerstone Christian Schools here in San Antonio. And 
and I'm a coach here and I also do all of the communications and marketing for the school. So it's again, kind of back in the classroom in the sense that I have um, 42 middle schoolers and about 70 high school runners um, that I coach, but it is very much like teaching them and, and in the classroom, but just outside on the pavement. So how did the PhD program and kind of what you learned there, teaching and research and the experience there, and maybe the experience outside of the classroom, how did how has that shaped how you train, how you coach, and, and the side of communication that you also do for the school? Yeah, well, I mean, it is, um, I mean, I, I never thought that what I was teach or what I was, well, teaching and researching and learning at, in a PhD program, how, how that could translate to what I'm doing. And it's every single day I'm using what I taught and I researched and I studied, which is pretty incredible to know, you know, at, at my age, so many years and decades later, it truly is coming to a pinnacle where it all makes sense now. Um, where when I'm, when I'm coaching, I mean, yes, I'm coaching and communicating and teaching these kids how to run, but it's turned into more of, um, you know, mentoring and marketing and branding these high school athletes, because the way that our world is working now, if you're a high level high school athlete, you could in some ways, you know, be equivalent to a college athlete in the sense of marketing yourself and creating a brand. And so I've been working very closely with some, um, you know, a handful of high school kids trying to get them to, you know, um, work on their social media, work on, um, you know, marketing videos that they can send to schools, trying to create literally a brand for themselves so that when they're when schools are looking at them, the schools will understand not only what they do on the field or in gameplay, but who they are as a person and sending that character that they are and they have through social media to these schools and to, and to almost creating a fan base. Um, but then also working with the school and understanding how the school can create stories and be a storyteller for not only what they're doing in the classroom, but what these athletes and what these games um, are are what they mean to the kids. And so all the research that I did on you know, even the gender studies I did, understanding how, you know, it's very different to market a boy than a girl. Um, and it's still the case. Um, but, you know, understanding that storytelling um, that we all need and that we all love and putting into, into practical use. So it's pretty incredible how I look back and I can now pinpoint a lot of stuff that I learned that I'm now implementing in real life. Kind of follow up on that. So you're you're training, coaching these kiddos, um, even you know high school kids are their kids, and <laughs> have studied media effects. You're working with these students on um, their brand and on storytelling. Knowing what you know, kind of from a research perspective, working with kids, knowing what you know from an application perspective. Are the, are the kids that you're working with, are they kind of seeing the academic side to telling a story and crafting a story? Or are they, you know, just, ah, I got to tell my story. So how do you even 
the the academia part of it right well i say a little bit of both i mean you're you're right i mean they're they're seven 16 17 18 um and some of a lot of them have very mature brains but at the same time they're still 16 17 and 18 and they're very much like how i how you know what is everybody going to think about me if i do this or their perception and and that they want to you know take 100 photos and i'm like i only need one photo not 100 you know but they (laughs) want to pick the perfect one so i kind of you know, that's also a little humorous to me because, um, you know, with Photoshop and everything that we learned, it's like, oh, yes, let's use the filters like like we always <laughs> that everyone does. But um, what I try to do is um, I try to put all of my big words, my research words into, uh, you know, things that they would understand. So, you know, instead of talking about parasocial interaction and talking about fandom and social learning theory, all of those things, I'm translating that into, um, you know, you, you want to connect with your fans, right? You want them to be able to know who you are. Okay, well, let's tell a story. Let's create a reel so that they know who you are, a day in the life of, whatever it may be. So I'm using those big ideas and then breaking it down into ways that they understand. And because of that, there's been an incredible amount of um, increased uh, interaction and visibility for the school and for the athletics. And um, so, yes, I, I, I don't really get into the nitty gritty of all the specifics, but I definitely am implementing a lot of those research mentalities with the kids, but just in a very um, easy way of, of conveying to them. Well, and it just sounds like what, I'm sorry, I did not mean to cut you off. Um, That's what happens when you're recording in separate places. (laughs) You can't point. You go, we go. Um, But it does sound like that the work that you did, kind of that minor that you had referenced in sports management is now really coming to fruition because in addition to studying kind of the media effects side and entertainment um you also have like a firm handle on how they should be kind of crafting and creating their brand and you know really working with them probably individually on on messaging and how to get information out that's appropriate um and in all of that am i kind of capturing that correctly Oh, yes, 100%. And, um, you know, even to the point where just last week, I was talking to one of the um, male athletes we have here. And I was, I mean, I kind of had this flashback in my brain, and I smiled and hopefully not too awkwardly with him. But I was telling him about this research that I did it when I was in my doctoral program about the idea that there's these people who are the golden ticket and how, you know, you could be great in the media, you can be attractive, and you can be um, uh, very, be great at your sport. And it was one of those where I was like, you know, he has the potential of being one of those golden tickets and, um, you know, being able to, to put that in, in to tell him about the, that idea. Um, he, he and other athletes are, are implementing a lot of stuff that, um, that, I, I researched and never, never could be able to put my finger on like a real life example other than stuff in Sports Illustrated and the Olympics and whatnot. And so seeing it in real life, it definitely is being captured here. And what's, I, I think what's about this is a lot of these kids are going to go on to college probably and they're going to like hear those 
you know, fancy research words or a theory. And they're going to be like, oh, I know that. <laughs> I've done that. I, and that's that education's cool. Oh, for sure. And, and it kind of in, in the similar way, but kind of in an opposite way. When I first got here, one of the things that I noticed was that there was no social media guidelines. There was no social media policy. And I was starting to notice that a lot of the athletes were not being monitored. And I don't want to say doing things wrong, but in some ways they were doing things wrong. And so I had a great talk with the athletic director and I said, you know, I'm just going to put my two cents out there and they should not be doing this or they should be doing this. And so when within my first month that I got here, I created a social media policy for the department to the point where, you know, kind of on the flip side, I, you know, these kids should not be doing some of the stuff that they were doing and putting songs with reels because, or, you know, the females presenting themselves in certain ways because recruiters do see what your social media is all about and they will make assumptions and you will have a reputation based upon how you present yourself in the media. And so if these kids want to be respected as athletes, they also need to be respected as people and whatever you mm-hmm. present on social media, that will be people's perceptions, whether they like it or not. And so because of that, we have kind of had a little bit of a, you know, a thumb on, on some stuff about making sure that they definitely present themselves in certain ways. I know their parents do. <laughs> <laughs> for sure and I and I mean I think back to um my own kids when they were in high school um and the clubs that they participated in for travel soccer there were no discussions about self-representation on social media what they should put out there what they shouldn't you know and I feel like that's a really important piece of it all especially dealing with high school athletics so thank you for sharing that yeah and and I mean I I, you know I definitely say to them there's so many good uses for social media and you know a lot of times schools may not even notice you till you start tagging them and then they take Mm -hmm. notice of you Mm -hmm. Um, but there's so many examples unfortunately but also fortunately of how kids have lost scholarships because of you know decisions that they've made in the moment of posting certain things and so because of that, um, it's a, you know, I, I, we have examples of saying you think that that's cool. Well, you could lose your scholarship. So what's more important? Mm-hmm. And so having those discussions with them. So I'm going to completely shift gears on you. Um, but I know when you were at the University of Alabama, you had an opportunity to interact with Dr. Jennings Bryant. I believe maybe you've taken a class from him. Uh, and I was wondering if you could share a great Jennings story, if you have one. Yeah, no, I got to be in classes with him my, all four years. And I think I even took classes from him that I may have said, that doesn't look really that interesting, but I'm going to take it anyways, because he's teaching it. But um, <laughs> nine and a half times out of 10, he was teaching something amazing since it was always about sports or entertainment. And I think between my classes with, uh, with him and then with you, Kim, I, I definitely figured out my path in life when it came to research and um, what I wanted to focus on. Uh, but there, I mean, there are several stories and, and I think anybody's interacted with him, there's always something, there's always some funny little catchy phrase he'd always say. And you're like, Oh, that, that must've been from his upbringing, you know, from where with his little, his, um, southern appeal that he always had but 
I just always loved his stories when it came to Sesame Street um, because I was always um, interested in in the reasons why things were and why things worked. And so the fact I'll never forget the one he the one story he told me that I still have told people these days. And I remember telling my kids this was he would uh, he told us that um um, Big Bird with Sesame Street was actually supposed to be blue and everyone wanted him to be blue, like be a bluebird because bluebirds are nice and they're kind and they're sweet and they have beautiful songs and, you know, whatever. And then I guess the bluebird didn't test well. And so now Big Bird is yellow. And I just even the, <laughs> even the smallest story of just that, I mean, the fact that he knew you know, why the puppets were made a certain way and why they looked a certain way and, and you know, the, the intent that um, even the smallest detail can have when it comes to entertainment and media that always sat really big with me because you may think that, you know, the title of a show or the way that um, a house looks, you know, there's always an intent to everything. And so that's a great example of, of how even the smallest change can make a big difference. Okay. So, First of all, I didn't know that. And now I feel like I have insider knowledge. <laughs> yes, yeah, I know. <laughs> Very cool. So Andrea, I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot here. You've done a lot in your career and you've done a lot to be like super proud of personally. And as you have talked about kind of teaching um, the students that you work with, how to craft their message um, and tell their story. Can you can you give us just a a, a little um, little story about yourself? What keeps you motivated? Um, and you know, things can get in the past couple of years. Things can get <laughs> overwhelming. Um, so tell us kind of how tell us how you would. Descri how you would describe yourself that sounds weird but tell us a little bit about how you push through what keeps you motivated it's so funny that you said that because this morning I woke up completely overwhelmed thinking how am I going to make through make it through today so um, <laughs> there there are days when you know I'm completely overwhelmed between you know what I need to do what I need to do for the family and and um this job is incredible and it's very challenging and it's throwing a lot of stuff at me that I've never had to deal with and all the balls that I have to juggle um and my answer is so incredibly cheesy and it it is what it is but I mean I I just really love what I'm doing I I mean and, and that's what it comes down to is whenever um I mean, I'll never forget when my dad said to me, he was like, I just want you to find something that you love. So what do you love doing? And I would always answer, I love talking to people. I love watching TV and I love music and I love sports. And so what keeps me going is the fact that, I mean, I, at my age, like I truly have found a place and a position where not only am I applying everything that I know and everything that I've learned, but I, I really have fun. I have fun every day. And I think the big thing is whether you're trying to figure out what you want to do with your life or what you want to research or what your dissertation is going to be about and how you keep going. It's like, you know, you do need to find your why. And I think that that's a big thing is like, why do you want this or why are you doing this or 
Um, but the big thing is just finding something that you, you really love. And, you know, there's that saying that if you love what you're doing, you're not really ever working a day in your life. And um, I think I, I have, like I said, I have finally found it where I putting everything that I have ever experienced and learned into a place where I have kids that come to my office and cry about their body and their body image and that they think the certain way. And I can apply all of my knowledge to that. And I have kids who say, I want this college to notice me. What do I do? I put all my knowledge into that. And so it's, it's lots of different balls being juggled, but it's the first time I've ever felt like I've been able to put everything into practices because I just, I really enjoy it. That's awesome. Yeah. And I have to say, you know, that's, I think it's what you said was not cheesy at all, by the way, but I think it's a really important takeaway about finding what brings joy into your life, doing what you love and having fun, because as you described, it's so easy to get bogged down with, you know, just getting through the day and all this Mm -hmm. stuff that you have to do. And especially over the last two years, it takes a toll on us. It takes a toll on everyone. And Mm -hmm. we all have to kind of identify what can I do where I have joy every day and I'm having fun. Maybe not the whole day, but at least part of it. Right, just most of it. Yeah. And I remember sitting... I remember sitting in your office, Kim, and, you know, trying to figure out what should I write my dissertation on. And, and you said in some way, like, well, what, what do you want to, what topic do you want to deal with for the next two years? You know what? I mean, if you, if you had to do something every day for two years, you've got to pick something that you don't mind looking at for two years and studying for two years and writing and rewriting and rewriting. So, you know, I think that that definitely applies um, to kind of your everyday. And, you know, the past two years have been extremely challenging because, you know, we have four kids and most of the time they were at home doing virtual. Um, and then my husband is an ICU um, pulmonologist. And so he was in the COVID unit for two years and he, in some ways he still is. And so trying to manage that and being the glue for the family, it's just kind of, again, finding out whether it's just personally or professionally, like, why am I waking up every day and why am I doing this? And if you have to go, I don't know, I don't like it, then maybe that's a good time to evaluate. Hmm. So I really feel like we could talk for another three more hours. Um, <laughs> we want to be mindful of everyone's time um, and your own time. So we're going to finish this kind of in the way that we started. You have an outstanding running career, at least 45, correct me if I'm wrong, marathons, 50 marathons, countless half marathons, um, some of which you've won marathons and halves, and you've won a ton of 5K races in many cases, beating the boys, which I love. Yes. But what I I wonder is, what goals do you have for yourself, running or otherwise? Um, I think for the first time, I'm, my answer is none. It's just kind of crazy. Um, I mean, there, you know, little things here and there, you know, like I just did a, a race on Saturday that I just did for fun, and but I ended up winning. So, I mean, I feel like I still have a little, I mean, I joked and put on social media, I got, I got a little bit more fire in this machine. Like, um, I mean, I, I'm not out there training 90 miles a week anymore and I don't want to do that anymore, but, um, I think what's wonderful is I don't have any goals and I, I kind of am at the point where that is better than having goals, but 
to me every day is a challenge because I end up most of the time I'm, I'm running with the kids that I'm coaching. So in the mornings we, I have middle school track practice and in the afternoons I have high school track practice. And there's some days where I'm running with both of the groups or one of the groups and, and doing speed work with them and doing hill work with them. And so I'm kind of just staying, staying in shape so that I can keep up with them and, and give them a little bit of my sweat equity so that they know I'm just not standing there, but I'm actually doing the work with them. So mm-hmm. that's what's keep, that's, what's keeping me young. That's what's keeping me, um, to, that's my therapy, I guess. But, um, my, my running right now is, is focused on kind of, I guess I'm turning the tables. I'm, I'm using that to, to get some, some goals and some championships and stuff for the, the kids that I coach now. I love that so much. Mm-hmm. Um, truly, this could go on for many, many hours, but um, just want to say we are so appreciative of your time and we want to thank you for joining us on this podcast, Revise and Resubmit. And um, gosh, it's been great and so much fun. Andrea, thank you. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And I definitely, if I could, I'd go back for another four years and do some more. So I'm, I'm really, um, it's wonderful to see that the department is still, still trucking along and doing a lot of awesome stuff. So, but thank you for the opportunity. Thank you all so much for joining us today as we got a great opportunity to catch up with Dr. Andrea Wagner. Truly, she is one of the most fascinating humans I have ever met, and I think she represents just how broad and diverse our PhD alum are. Some go into academia, some go into the industry, some have taken all sorts of different paths, as Andrea told you about today, but it's just really fascinating to hear about all the great things our alum have gone off to do. Want to tease our episode for next week just a little bit? We're going to be catching up with Dr. Sarita Stewart, who's an associate professor at Belmont University. Now, let me just say, from a person that started from a very small, small town at the end of the Oregon Trail in Oregon City to someone who then moved to L.A., got all in with the music industry, earned her MBA, wound up moving to Nashville, has literally hodnobbed with some of the biggest music stars you've heard of, to now working back at Belmont University and teaching her students how to make it big in the music industry as producers, as publicists, as all of that. It is so much fun. You don't want to miss it. Catch you next week.